When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Atis, it's Tuesday, December 14th, year of our Lord, 2021. And I'd like to start today's show off by saying that God is good all the time. And as my nephew says, and all the time, God is good. Hey man, welcome to Fearless, the hardest hitting show on the airways. He's the captain, Jason Whitlock, and I'm your thrill sergeant, Uncle Jimmy. And on today's show, we have the Minister of Intel. And of course, I'm talking about none other than my guy, Professor D, Delano Squires. And he's gonna be here today to talk about the column that he wrote for The Blaze regarding Kanye West, Drake, and Larry Hoover. And whether or not our culture has an infatuation with gangsters and criminals. I think we need to see what Delano has to say about this. Also, joining us will be ESPN's own Stephen A. That's right, Stephen A. Kim's gonna be joining us today. He's gonna be talking to us about Steph Curry going for his record and whether or not there's some actual magic going on in Madison Square Garden. See y'all, I don't know if you realize it or not, but Steve Kim is like the soy sauce of this show. He just makes everything good, and that's why we love him. So anyway, it's that time. It's my favorite time of the show, as a matter of fact. It's Mr. Finger time. It's time to hit the like, hit the subscribe. While you're there, <laughs> hit the share. And you already know what he wants, so give it to him. Hit the five stars, not four, not three, not two, not one. You know why? Because Jason calls those appetizers, and they mean nothing to him. Anyway, run over to the shop, blazemedia.com slash fearless, and check out this gear. Find out why Uncle Jimmy looks so fly. Why? It's simply because of the gear. Anyway, go over there, make your purchase, get you some of this fearless army swag. Here it is, y'all. It's that time. It's the man that strikes fear in the buffets everywhere. It's the man that loves it when you're calling Big Papa. He's my guy. Jason Whitlock. You meant to say Big Whopper. Yeah, but you were standing here. I didn't want you to get mad. Oh. All right, so uh, happy Tuesday. And uh, I got a little fire that I want to start that uh, Delano's going to come in and pour some uh, gas on this fire that I'm going to start. Uh, there's going to be a little synergy between uh, Delano and I and, and what I kind of want to talk about. I, I think it, it segues perfectly, sets up a conversation with Delano. Delano wrote a piece about uh, Kanye West 
and the district attorney in Philadelphia, Larry Krasner, and how we've become infatuated with criminals and criminal justice reform. And all of our sympathy is for criminals. And we've turned criminals into victims. And this is all an outgrowth of kind of where I want to start the discussion uh, with our fascination with change. There's this, uh, right now we're going through a change movement where the idea, the concept of changing things is the most powerful idea uh, working in America. And to, to some degree, it, it clearly starts with politics, it starts with Barack Obama and hope and change and change we can believe in. And look, politicians, not just Obama, but they all lean into, hey, I'm gonna change things up and things are gonna be better. So it's, I don't wanna just single out President Obama. But he did help popularize this change culture and change movement we have going on in America. And one thing I've been asking people of late is like, what's your solution? I, I hear you talking about change, but I don't hear you talking about a solution. And so change for the sake of change and this idea that all change is good, we, we've got to stop it. And so I'm looking at people that want to change the criminal justice system. And I'm not sure if they have a better plan. I'm not sure if they have a solution. I know they want to change things. And I look at professional athletes that run around, and particularly in the NFL, they have it on the back of their helmets all the time. Inspire change. And again, th this is where a lot of my problems with athletes are. It's like, they put no thought into anything. Oh, inspire change, that sounds good. Let me slap that on the back of my helmet and let's just change, 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 change. And every, all, all the things they get behind, change, 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 change. None of them ever talk about solutions. It's just change. And so when, when everything is just change, change, then you, you've opened your mind to be manipulated by people who get to define for you what the change is. All you know is change is good. Things were so terrible just five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. We just must change and anything that's different is good. And so it's like out with all the old, in with the new. And <clears throat> maybe it's because I'm 54, maybe it's because I'm past my prime, maybe it's because I'm just an old fuddy-duddy shouting at the clouds, yelling at people to get off my lawn. But not all change is good. Not everything from the past needs to be thrown out. We're not living in an America where people are in bondage and slavery. We're not living in an America where women don't have the right to vote. We're not living in an America where black people's rights to vote are being compromised. 
We're not living in America where we can't drink out of water fountains. We can't go to schools. Our taxes pay for. We, we can't eat, shop, live where we want. That's not the era we live in. And so I get it. And that's why they, there's such a focus on history and, and convincing everybody that we're actually living in the 1920s and 30s. And we just got to change things. And so for a lot of these athletes to slap this inspired change on the back of their helmets, what is it that they really want to change? Is there something about their life in particular that they're dissatisfied with? Is Patrick Mahomes dissatisfied? Has he been discriminated against and he's only got a contract worth a half billion dollars married to the fruit of the tree? but wants things to change. And I I don't want to signal Patrick Mahomes out, but I'm just, he's one of these athletes that I think has just wet his finger, his agents and everybody said, the wind's blowing this direction, hop on this change bandwagon. And I look at the uh, Malcolm Jenkins and the Players Coalition, and they were gonna hop in there and they have their programs that they're gonna institute to change the criminal justice system. And no one either has the courage, uh, the moral standing, the, the, the brains to say, hey man, you're a football player. This criminal justice system is very complicated. What the hell do you know about how it needs to be changed? Same question applies to Kanye West. Kanye West, a nice little rapper, designs pretty creative tennis shoes. But, but the criminal justice system and what must be changed? How? Why? Rapping? Because he raps? Because he can curse and come up with rhymes that, that words that rhyme with F-U-C-K? Because, you know, he's not afraid to say N-I-G-G-A constantly. And I'm not trying to beat up on Kanye. Sometimes I halfway like Kanye. But this whole little change thing that we're all caught up in, And everybody believes anything that's different must be better. It's just not true. And there must be, TJ Moe talked about it last week, talking about Bill Belichick and and how Bill Belichick walks everybody into the, around the Patriots facility, shows them pictures of the guys that played for the Patriots Uh, before they were there, the guys that created this whole dynasty, and even the guys before the dynasty. John Hanna, one of the greatest offensive linemen in NFL history, played in the 1970s, played at Alabama. He's one of the greatest football players of all time. I'd put him in my top 10 list of football players of all time. Played for the Patriots. And it's like, Bill Belichick wants you to know that history of that organization and the men that played there before, and he wants you to respect that because he wants you to understand that those guys before you actually built this, and that you must have respect for what they did 
in order to continue their legacy and to continue to push the Patriots forward. And we have been convinced here in America that everybody before us, everybody before us was dog doo-doo and unworthy of respect and the systems that they put into place that, that allow us to live on the, in the greatest country on the planet. People beating down doors and do, people walking from other countries, walking through Mexico and to come through our southern border. People in Africa trying to get into America desperate. We didn't build that. The people before us did. And we should respect them. And we should respect what they did to make this country the envy of the world. And then from that respect, if there are things that need to be tweaked and improved, let's do that. But let's also come up with solutions, things that will make things better. And so we got this thing going on now with this bail reform and uh, defund the police and criminals are, we should all be sympathetic towards them. That's the change that's being promoted and it's not improving our country. It's making us more unsafe. Violent crime on the rise all across America. People in, not the celebrities who live in gated communities, not the professional athletes who live in gated communities and can hire their own security. But the real people, the great mass of people living in neighborhoods, working inside their communities, they're not as safe as they used to be. Criminals have control of our streets and our criminal justice system. So all this change that we're promoting, it's not working out for the great mass of people. It's a bunch of spoiled, idiot, celebrity influencers, athletes, singers, comedians, whatever, that have no solutions, but just think, oh, if I did anything to change America, it's better. And that all comes from the point of view like, Everything in the past was terrible, and I'm just sorry. My father, not terrible. My grandmother, not terrible. The, the George Washington and them, I'm sorry, not terrible. And I know they participated in a system that was unfair, but they also wrote documents that created these freedoms for all of us. And they came from a worldview and a perspective of that our freedom was given to us by God, not man. I think I've set up uh, Delano to expound on the column he wrote today about Kanye West and his support of Larry Hoover, the founder of the Gangster Disciples in Chicago, uh, Larry Krasner, the DA, the district attorney in Philadelphia, who's setting all these criminals free, 
and the kind of chaos they're seeing in Philadelphia. Uh, Professor D. Delano, the smartest man on the show, uh, welcome to the show and uh, give us a take or help us understand the column you wrote today and what the point you were trying to get across. Sure, Jason. Thanks again for having me, obviously. Uh, I just want to say one thing, two things about what you said just now um, in terms of our nation's sort of perpetual hunt for change. Um, and the two of them are, are related but fairly simple. One is that all change is in progress. And two is that oftentimes the average progressive is really a subversive because actual progress means to build. Right? So just think of how you would construct a house. You have a foundation and you, you put up walls and you have floors and you do you know, sort of infrastructure and then you, you build on top of what you've already built. But the change that these people are pushing for is actually subversive. It means to erode and destroy. So the people who run around saying that they're progressive but fight against the nuclear family, um, fight against um, you know, the notion of, of traditional marriage or even the, the fact of gender being a, a real thing. And, you know, they would say that the term gender binary is, is a pejorative or an insult. These are people who can't build anything. All of the changes that they say that they seek are meant to destroy, to tear down what has been um, for things that they have yet to define. And I think that really hits at, at what you were talking about and really at the, the main point of my column, um, which was to say that Kanye West and Larry Krasner represent both the impulse towards change that exists in pop culture and within public policy. Um, you know, obviously Kanye West is a, is a global icon. So when I saw that he was teaming up with Drake, again, another global superstar, to do a benefit concert for Larry Hoover, Right, the founder of the Gangster Disciples, a, a, a street gang which has undoubtedly contributed to the to the homicide epidemic in Chicago going back decades, it just struck me as strange. Right? Especially when you understand that in September, a report came out that within the city of Chicago, more children have been shot in Chicago than have died of COVID nationwide. And yet someone like Kanye chooses to use his resources, his clout, his bully pulpit to advocate for Larry Hoover. Now, there very well may be, you know, a good argument to be had that Larry Hoover is of a particular age. He's been in prison since 1973. Maybe he should be released because of his old age. Th those are arguments that one could have, right? But I think what you see from Kanye and Krasner is, is not just the specifics of what they advocate, but just the general sort of tone and tenor of their ideas. And those ideas center around one specific fact about our criminal justice system. That the biggest problem with it is that it's systemically racist and that the police and prisons are meant to subjugate black and brown bodies, as they would say. And that plays well on social media, that plays well in Hollywood circles, um, that plays well at policy forums. But to your point, when you send the signal that criminals are the victims, then by necessity, that means that law-abiders, uh, law-abiding citizens uh, become, in some respects, victimizers. And that's why you see people like Kanye West and Larry Krasner have so much more to say when um, the people they advocate for, right, the people whose t cases they bring attention to, 
are allegedly victims of racist police or, you know, the mass industrial complex. They never say anything about the toddlers, the seven-year-olds, the teenagers who are senselessly murdered in the streets, gunned down, kids who can't even sit out on their front porch without fear of bullets whizzing by. Um, and, and, and really, it's at a point where everyone sees it, everyone understands it, and I think it's about time that more people start speaking up about it. Delano, we're living in a time, and I think this cuts across both political parties because uh, this criminal justice thing uh, has become a very popular notion and our criminal justice system is broken, it's broken, it's broken, we must overhaul it and both parties got caught up in it and, and mm -hmm. uh, President Trump beat his chest, I got some criminal justice reform passed and look at the Democrats couldn't do it and, and so when I look at Kanye with Larry Hoover and, and uh, you know, being from Indianapolis, I, I'm, I'm more aware than maybe other people, you know, because Indianapolis is just two and a half hours from Chicago. Gangster mm -hmm. Disciples are all throughout Indianapolis. Uh, I got some family members connected to them. Uh, and so when I hear, let's get Larry Hoover out of jail, Mm. I then go to uh, one of the last things that President Trump did was pardon Michael Harry O. Harris, uh, the, the drug kingpin who founded Death Row Records. And that was one of Trump's last acts, uh, acts was pardoning Michael Harry O. Harris, who spent like 30 years uh, in prison. Uh, and he got sprung from jail and it's like, we're living in this time where there's a lot of political capital being and energy being spent on springing mm. longtime criminals from prison and the media portraying this as uh, progress. And it, it just, I'm telling you, when I look at what's going on in America from uh, from the smash and grabs to bail reform, it's like, wow, the criminal element's influence over American culture has never been stronger than it is yeah. right now. And some people, I may sound naive, because some people, some people may go, hey man, in the 1920s, the 1930s, the mafia, the Italian mafia did this and that, and, and Joseph Kennedy, he was connected to the mob and he got his son elected to the White House. I, I, I'm just, for me, and it may be a naive thought, it just seems like the criminal element has more influence over American culture and policy than at any time in the country's history. I mean, I think your, your analysis is spot on. Um, so I'll say a couple things, right? I think that, as I said, it's certainly worth debating whether a person who has served 30, 40 years of a prison sentence should have their case reconsidered. And I think each of those, those cases should be judged on its merits. Uh, because the, the fact of the matter is, and I'm saying this according to Bureau of Justice Statistics data, um, the, even the average murderer doesn't serve out uh, their entire sentence. I, I want to say the average murder conviction may serve about 20, 25 years in prison. 
Um, but people typically serve shorter sentences than what they are actually given when it comes to, to, to state prison. I can't speak as much to federal prison, and obviously that's the part that you know President Trump and, and presidents before and after him have more control over. But, I, but I'll say this, part of it, of, of the problem, is the incentives and the messages that people with public profiles send to the, to the, the citizenry, the, the mass public, when they decide to take on and champion certain cases. And I, I say this is a matter of principle. There's a difference between the things that all of us will talk about in the comfort of our own homes, to our spouses, our friends, our family, the things that we may discuss publicly on social media or other public platforms, and then the things that we'll grab a bullhorn and take to the streets for. So when you see politicians and celebrities using their bully pulpit, and it always seems like they're doing it for people who have been duly convicted of vicious crimes, that's, that sends a signal. And even as it relates to the Trump administration, one of my problems with the, the, how the president was being advised is that when he was running for re-election, he, he, I think he fell into the trap that, that the left says, as it relates to you know the biggest problem for black folk in the criminal justice system is the system itself. So he, tout, he touted the First Step Act and said nothing about Operation Legend, which was a federal task force including the ATF, the FBI, Department of Justice, um, focused on nine cities that had some bad street crime problems, in, including you know Chicago, I want to say St. Louis, um, and a couple other cities. It was named after the legend Talaferro, who was a seven or eight-year-old boy who was um, shot and killed. Um, obviously through, through no fault of his own. And that task force, um, I, I want to say, had over 6,000 arrests in a period of about six months um, for very serious drug offenses, carjacking, and I want to say over 450 murder uh, arrests. So that's the sort of thing that actually makes a dent in the street crime problem that we have in this country. But our ruling class has its priorities so out of order that they spend more time talking about fake hate crimes than real street crime. And that's one of the biggest problems that we have right now. They're sending all of the wrong signals and all of the wrong incentives and people pick up on it. Because as a parent, you don't even have to be a parent, you just have to observe people parenting to understand this. If, if you're in a grocery store and you see two kids break down and have tantrums in two different aisles, and in the first, First aisle, you see, you hear a parent, you know, telling the child, well, I know you're upset. Okay, just tell me whatever you want and I'll get it for you. And then the next aisle, you see a parent looking at the kid like they've gone crazy and say, are you finished? Because we're not doing this today in this grocery store. So you need to get up, wipe yourself off, figure out what you want to do with your life and let's, you know, keep shopping and we're going to go home. One parent chooses indulgence. The other parent chooses correction. You don't have to know anything about these people. You don't have to know their demographic background, where they went to school, what they do for a living. You already know, based on how they handle their children, which one of those kids is more likely to continue their behavior. And, and that's why I mentioned sort of the biblical reference, and particularly in the Old Testament, which sounds very harsh to, to, to readers um, who are not necessarily familiar with some of the stories. Whenever it talked about the Mosaic law and the penalties for sin, which oftentimes were death. 
part of what it said was, do this to purge evil from among you. And all of Israel will hear and, and be in fear. And the lesson is clear. You have to address sin early on. You have to address evil and wrongdoing early on, quickly and consistently, so that people understand that it's not going to be tolerated. Because if you don't, it's going to spread. And, and going back to the parenting example I gave, that little kid who's four years old, who's, who's acting a fool in the grocery store, eventually they turn 10, and then they turn 14, and then they turn 17, and then the parent is going to end up on Maury Povich uh, uh, begging Maury to get a drill sergeant to get their kid back in shape. And anyone who's ever parented a child knows that the things that you don't address at three and four, you're going to have to deal with at 14, 15, and 16. Lionel, we'll, we'll end on this note, but the other thing where I'm headed mentally is the whole racializing of all mm. conversations. Black justice, black this, black that. I, I'm at a point of frustration where I, I, anything that I hear that's prefaced as black I hear it as a distraction from the truth, and hmm. and it's like I have a Christian agenda, and that's it, and 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 that that's doesn't take into an account skin color because I, I think it's that superficial, and I think that race has been turned into a tool to hmm. distort truth. And that's why I'm like, I'm at the point where it's like, I'm rejecting all racial arguments. Hmm. Uh, because it, it's, it's, they have turned it into something evil in my, in my belief. And, and so, the, you know, seeking criminal justice reform for Larry Hoover, all the bail reform and letting everybody out of prison uh, and, uh, you know, slap on the wrist for crimes. You, you ran through all the stuff Larry Krasner looked the other way on and the criminals turned back around and committed murders or really serious violent crime. I, I, I'm just, and, and I've been thinking about this for the last six months probably, just like, man, I, I, when I hear people talk about a black agenda or a black this or a black that, all I always think about is like, man, don't you have a Christian agenda? Don't, don't, what mm. about your identity in Christ and just looking for people who share your beliefs, your faith, your worldview, as opposed to trying to partner with people based solely on skin color? I just don't know if there's a lot of value there. And I, I think the last couple of years have shown how empty um, our ideas around superficial identity politics have become. And I've been clear about this, you know, obviously, Jason, you know this, I've been very clear about my critiques of Black Lives Matter, the organization, right? I've known for quite some time, a number of years, that they were a Trojan horse. They use race, they use the, the brutalized bodies of black men um, to advance their true agenda. And that agenda is around all different types of LGBT issues. 
And that's why of their 13 original principles, they don't use the words police, brutality, violence, man, boy, father, or husband a single time. Now they talk about being trans affirming, queer affirming, women affirming. affirming. They talked about um, disrupting the nuclear family. So I, I was already hip to their game. But what our ruling class elites end up doing, and we talked about this all summer, over and over and over again, they use black people in, in ways that sort of remind me of, of the movie 300, right? They know that they're a fairly small army, but, they, but they're very powerful. So when they feel like they're going up against a much bigger and stronger and more powerful foe, what they do is they shoot their arrows, whatever those arrows are, disrupt the nuclear family right um make people think that men can have babies mainstream birthing persons um do away with any sort of norms of uh, civility and con con you know proper conduct they shoot those arrows at their enemy and whenever the enemy gets ready to respond they raise their shields and they use black people as the shields because and you've said this they know that if they use us as shields the people who may want to respond and who see the subversion for what it is are going to be less likely to do so because they don't want to be called racist. And they've taken that, that strategy and have applied it to every other area in which they want to subvert. And that's why they have uh, women, natural born women, biological females, afraid to speak out against biological men who are dominating them in high school, collegiate, and Olympic sports. They've, they've done the same thing. So all of this is to instill a sense of fear in people who don't want to see our society radically changed in the ways that they want. Um, but they know that if they use the right people as shields, and, and at this point, that's, that's black people, um, that sort of the enemy that they're trying to fight, which is really the, the, the forces of good oftentimes, the, the sort of the, the foundations of society and civilization, right? They want to topple that, and they know that if they use us as shields, uh, it'll be a lot easier to fling their arrows without, without taking any hits. Lano, thank you. Great job as always. Uh, thank we'll you, see you later in the week. All right, let me tell you guys about sweat block. For big guys like me, you have to protect yourself from being overly sweaty whether it's doing public speaking engagements or delivering these blazing fire starters right here on this show, I have to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. That's why I love Sweatblock. Sweatblock is stronger and much more effective than other antiperspirants, plus it has a dry shirt guarantee. If Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. Not only is it doctor recommended, but it's made right here in the good old US of A. If you or someone you love is dealing with this issue, you have to check out Sweatblock. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code FEARLESS. That's sweatblock.com. Use the promo code FEARLESS. Support the sponsors and the people that are supporting you and your worldview. All right, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. The Korean co-sell, Steve Kim. X.
All right, welcome back. Time for some Korean co-sell uh, to join the show. Steve Kim, we're going to roll out to Los Angeles and bring in uh, our favorite contributor, uh, Steve Kim, our funniest, most clever, smartest guy I know talking about sports. Uh, Steve Kim, uh, welcome back. I want to start with a little bit of controversy that uh, TJ Moe sparked on the show yesterday. We had a discussion <laughs> about Lamar Jackson and whether he's ascending, descending, declining, reclining, inclining, whatever. And we came up with a little information package about uh, Lamar's last 21 games versus his prior 21 games. 42 games in all, 21 of his last, 21 prior, and there's significant drop-off. Uh, I think his, he was 18 and three in the first 21 and 13 and eight in the last, uh, 55 touchdowns in the first 21 and maybe 36 or something or 34 in the last 21. And then the, the turnovers I think went, are up to 26, up from like 11. And, and so anyway, TJ has a take on Lamar that has irritated a lot of people over social media. So I want to just play an excerpt from what TJ said yesterday and get your reaction. The second you twist his ankle, not only is that worthless, but we know this about regular quarterbacks with good mechanics, right? If you hurt your ankle, suddenly your throwing mechanics go away and you're not very good. Well, if you have poor throwing mechanics before you even start, then you hurt your ankle. Well, now your throwing's even worse than it was before. I think I think there are big problems here for a guy. And and you've got to ask yourself this. I mean, you said you think you think the Ravens are going to be forced to pay him, and he's he's in the ballpark of the thirty-five to forty million dollars a year. That's what they're paying Russell Wilson and Pat Mahomes. Is the bigger mistake? to not pay a guy who might be pretty good for a little while? Or is it to anchor yourself to the tune of $40 million a year to a guy who's going to be average, who's already reaching the spot where he's taking too many hits, he's going to slow down, and you you actually get your spot, uh, get yourself into a spot where it is much more difficult to win because you paid this guy than if you would have just moved on and started developing a quarterback now. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, harsh words from a harsh Woo. man, TJ Moe. Uh, I want to give you, here's an example of the kind of feedback I'm getting over social media. Uh, I, this guy Marvin West tweeted at me, they always do these breakdowns when it comes to plain, paying black quarterbacks. Look at all the money they give trash white quarterbacks and these people never question it this way. And it, this is, you can't even have the discussion without someone immediately playing the race card and trying to even just shut down the discussion. This is the way quarterbacks are talked about. I, for years, begged the uh, Washington Redskins, then the Washington football team now, don't pay Kirk Cousins. Begged them, don't pay Kirk Cousins. <laughs> and they kept giving him franchise. I told the Vikings, making a mistake, paying Kirk Cousins, but Someone says something about Lamar and all hell breaks loose or all racial hell breaks loose. Anyway, I've rambled enough. Your thoughts? Well, Jason, first of all, Cousins, he didn't like that. He didn't like that. With that said, <laughs> you make a very interesting point. I remember about two years ago, 
when Lamar won his MVP and then they got beat down in the playoffs, I said, look, Lamar has a high upside, but he has to evolve. And there were a couple of people just like Marvin that said, uh, what do you mean by evolve? Why do you use that word? And I just decided, you know what? You're an individual that can't be reasoned with. Everything is racialized to you in your lens. I'm just going to mute you. But what did I tell you about a month ago? I was told by people that really study football that every new offense, whether it's gimmicky or exotic or a new system, you get about a year to a year and a half when you're a step ahead of the defense. Then the defensive coordinators, once they get a little bit of tape and they understand the tendencies and the concepts, they begin to shut you down. And the graphics that were showed yesterday and the stats that you just mentioned, Jay, it's all coming to fruition. That breakdown of his first two dozen games and his last dozen games is very, very striking, and those are facts. Here's the issue that I have with Lamar Jackson. I don't think it's all him. He doesn't have that much help. Coming into this season, his whole running back room was decimated with injuries. Had to get a bunch of retreads. They don't have a lot outside in terms of a dependable number one, and the book is out on how to stop this offense. Everyone is loading the box, playing zero coverage, and bringing the house Nobody on the outside is consistently winning battles, one-on-one battles that you have to in the National Football League to helping him out. Also, Lamar Jackson, I think, is a decent thrower, but he's not a natural passer. One thing that's missing from his game that's very evident with Kyler Murray, he also has to use his athleticism, is the ability to anticipate throws and throw guys open. And that's the next step. But, Jason, two months ago, as me and you were driving this um, Lamar Jackson bandwagon. The issue that I had was that there were way too many games where Lamar was not only the great passer or good passer, he was the leading rusher by attempts and yards. They were putting a lot on his plate. And people say, well, that's the new style of football. Here's the issue with that. The sustainability in terms of having your quarterback take that many hits and to do that much athletically It's almost not fair. And Jason, to wrap this up, I was thinking about uh, Lamar Jackson. Who would I compare him to? Got me thinking about the Harlem Globetrotters. Remember Curly Neal? Used to dribble around the ball, go through his legs, cross over, and he'd go like around the circle 50 times and dish the ball off or shoot it. And and I'd be like, that's a lot of effort for two points. Too many plays I see Lamar Jackson doing the Curly Neal where basically the play is Lamar, be Superman, make stuff happen. So there's two things that need to happen. They need to update that system, and he also needs to get better at becoming a more natural adept passer. This is tough for me because I'm really having to turn course right in the middle of the season because (laughs) four games ago, I was out there champing like, hey, man, give him the money. He's going to be rock solid and a star for the next four to five to six years. I do think he's only got a 10-year window. I, you know, yes. he's like a running back or whatever. And 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 now, when when someone puts together a stats package, and we did that, 21 games and 21 games, and the last 21 games look a lot different than the prior mm-hmm. 21 games. It's and I get that they've had injuries on their offensive line. They've had injuries at running back. But, but this whole thing about he doesn't have stars at wide receiver, I don't think that's ever going to be a fixable problem. I don't think you can pay an established wide receiver 
enough money to say, oh, I'm gonna come play in, in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, because that established wide receiver, he's not like the idiots over Twitter. He doesn't care about the race of the quarterback. He cares about, can this quarterback get me the ball and can I put up my numbers? And so let's say Odell Beckham Jr. He, he, he's not going to Baltimore because he wants to be fed the ball by a Matt Stafford or somebody with one of these cannon laser arms, very accurate. He, he's just not, he's not caught up in the racial narrative. So I think it's very hard to get an established wide receiver to come there as a free agent. And well, then I think for a, a rookie wide receiver, it's a little bit difficult to develop him into a star wide receiver in that offense that's so run heavy. Lamar loves to throw to the tight end, and he likes to throw deep balls to Hollywood Brown, you know, on, on occasions. But again, if you, if you want to go be a uh, Julio Jones in his prime or, who, or DeAndre Hopkins uh, in his prime or Larry Fitzgerald, you're just not going to do it with Baltimore, with Lamar Jackson, with wow. Greg Roman calling plays. That offense is about Lamar Jackson and exploiting him in the running game and, and you know him doing enough in the passing game for you to win. And so I just don't know if he's ever going to have all the right pieces around him. Jason, this is a economic di- dynamic that exists for every quarterback of race, creed, religion, and every organization. When you hit on that rookie quarterback, and for the first four years you're on that rookie salary, where it's relatively cheap for that position, that means economically you could fortify every other position, and that gives you a leg up. That was certainly the case with Russell Wilson as a third-round pick, where all of a sudden that team in Seattle had a lot of depth. Then it comes to the second contract where you have to pay everybody, namely the quarterback, then your budget changes. So that's the question that Lamar has. How much does he actually care about winning and his legacy? Does he want that $45, $50 million at the expense of getting other complimentary parts? Or does he want to say, you know what, let me take a bit of a discount. Again, that's a relative term. And let me have the ability to have my organization surround myself with some pieces that are really going to help me. I mean, Jay, Didn't Tom Brady for years play a little bit below market value to make sure that he put himself in a position that the New England Patriots every year would win anywhere from 11 to 13 games? He had the ultimate trust in Bill Belichick and the right organization, and you're right, he did that. I just think, as as I go back to the clip we played yesterday about Tom Brady and him talking about how the game has changed and it's easy and it's not... I just think it's hard to find quarterbacks or any professional athletes who are as self-aware as Tom Brady. Tom Brady had a plan and he executed executed it unbelievably in in New England. And you're right, he played for a little less because he he wanted to win all these games. And I think it was TJ Moe talked about Tom Brady has the desire to go down in, in, as one of the greatest athletes of all time, not football players. He wants to be in that conversation with Muhammad Ali and Michael Jordan, that he, his greatness transcends his sport. 
and he's done it by winning seven Super Bowls and always having a chance to win a Super Bowl over the course of 22, 23 years now. It's, but, but who else, now keep in mind that, because we used to talk about this all the time on Speak for Yourself, Tom Brady married very, very well in terms of <laughs> like when you marry Giselle, no, no, and she's worth all that money. Yeah. He doesn't need to max out all of his football money. He's got a wife who's a major bread earner and breadwinner. I, I try to tell people, and I'm not suggesting that Tom and Giselle don't love each other, but, but I am suggesting that some people have a far more pragmatic approach to marriage and a more successful approach to marriage when they understand it's about love, but it's also about a, it's a family decision, it's a business decision, and, and Tom Brady, I just, I don't know if we've ever seen an athlete execute the business around him better than Tom Brady. We hear a lot about Michael Jordan and Air Jordan and what he did with Nike or whatever. Uh, we hear a lot about LeBron James and all the terrible movies he puts out and all the deals he cuts in Hollywood and all, all of that, but nobody's handled their business better than Tom Brady. and I, that just may be a lot to ask of Lamar Jackson, whose mom represents him or he represents himself. Uh, and, and then just to be able for any athlete, it, then we're, this isn't a color discussion, this is just for any athlete to have as much control over their ego as Tom Brady has, good luck finding that athlete. You know, Jason, this is interesting, and I've thought about this, that the two athletes in all of team sports that we care about in America are judged by championships, even in team sports. So I've always thought this argument was a little bit spurious. It's the NBA superstar and the quarterback. They are judged by rings. Never mind that it's a team sport. Never mind they may be stuck in a bad organization or just have bad luck. Lamar Jackson has an interesting decision to make along with that organization. Is it all about squeezing every single dollar value from his play in his next contract or is it about attaining rings because eventually every quarterback that we talk about whether it's peyton manning tom brady tom uh terry bradshaw roger staubach or john elway it's about rings and to be truly considered one of the all-time greats and it's not fair to guys like dan marino you have to have a lombardi trophy on your resume and the way I look at it with Lamar is, look, it's easy for us to say, take a discount, take 10 to 15% less so you can get that slot receiver or that nickel cornerback that's going to help you in a Super Bowl. But that's the reality that quarterbacks have to play is that you're going to be the highest paid player on your team. That's just the way it is. It's the pay structure. It's not necessarily fair, but that is the game. But then the real intelligent quarterbacks that actually do care about their legacy and understand the big picture, they say, you know what? I don't necessarily have to be the highest paid quarterback. So that's the question that Lamar and his mother, if she's still the agent, are going to have to make in a few months. Well, what comes into play for a guy like Lamar when you've done so much with your legs is reparations. And, and what I mean by that... <laughs> What I mean by that is like when he was MVP of the league and clearly the best player in football that year, he got paid three, four, five million dollars. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. And so he wants reparations for that. And, and, and I don't blame him for being in that mindset of like, 
man, I was giving you $40 million worth of production and I was getting paid three and $4 million. That's a nice piece of change, but it's not what, it's not reflective of what I was giving you. So it's not just about the money in the future. It's what he believes. And I think somewhat justifiable is like, man, y'all got over on me these first two or three years. Uh, you know, I was winning these games and John Harbaugh, you got a contract off these games. And so y'all owe me reparations. And that's why I want 30, 40 million well, bucks. And that's why I'm not willing to settle for 28 or 32 million or something below market value. Well, okay, I, I didn't realize in his MVP year we should have started a GoFundMe campaign for him. But, but let's take a look at Patrick Mahomes, who, who he is going to be. That's the modern-day Brady versus Manning, in my view. Okay, whether it turns out that way, maybe Kyler Murray has something to say about it, or Justin Herbert, or uh, the kid up there in Buffalo, Josh Allen. But here's the issue. Uh, Patrick Mahomes had the same type of arc, except he has a Super Bowl. And what did he do last year, Jason? He signed a long-term deal that I believe, looking at the pay structure and what the future NFL salary cap's going to be, there's a very good chance by the sixth or seventh year or sooner, that deal might be obsolete and he might be quote-unquote underpaid. And you know what? He seems to be good with it because it seems to me, judging by some of the comments he made that I researched when I looked at Mahomes' contract, he said, you know what? I get paid what I want to get paid, but I want to win. So again, Lamar Jackson, he has some decisions to make. You're going to get paid. The question is, how much are you willing to take to actually win? All right, the Rams shocked me last night. They, they did a pretty good job of handling the Arizona Cardinals. Somehow, Kyler Murray ran and threw all over the field, 400 and some odd yards, but couldn't get it into the end zone. No touchdowns for Kyler Murray. Are, are, are you buying that Rams performance, or do, do you think the Rams have restamped themselves as a Super Bowl contender? The Rams, in terms of talent, are as good as anybody. I don't know if an all-star team that you construct halfway through the year can win, but they're certainly making uh, a run. And last night was a must-win situation, if there ever was one, in a regular season that wasn't a playoff elimination type of game. But as I'm watching that game, Jason, it's funny, when Kyler Murray had those two terrible interceptions that accounted for about a 14-point swing, I thought of you and Skilo because of both of those interceptions had to do with this height, and I know you're not a big fan of short quarterbacks, and I kept thinking of myself, that old Skilo line, I wish I was a little bit taller because those two <laughs> picks were a direct result of him not being all that tall. Um, Arizona is very good. They're very talented. They have a track team outside. James Conner's been a revelation. But last night was a Rams-style football game. They were the bigger, stronger, more physical force, and they they slowed the game down just enough. And I mentioned this on Twitter. It's one of those games where Matt Stafford just absolutely tantalizes you with his arm talent. That, that Matt Stafford shows up in the playoffs, they can absolutely make a run at the Lombardi Trophy. Uh. Odell Beckham Jr., I believe, had 77 yards, Ooh. six catches last night. Uh, you, you think his impact is going to continue to grow, or is, that, is, or is that now a good night for Odell Beckham Jr.? If he can accept the number two role behind Cooper Cup, who obviously, he's a coach on the field with deceptive speed, who would play the game for free, uh -huh, and he understands that, hey, 
I could play off a of Cooper Cup and all he does. I think it works. If you look at that Rams threesome of Cup, Beckham, and Van Jefferson, a very talented young man, and McVeigh is a chess player. As long as they can run the ball and set up play action, he can get very creative and Stafford can conduct surgery. It seemed to me as I'm watching this game, and yet sometimes you have to read the body language of guys like Odell. He seemed very engaged and very convinced that, hey, you know what? This is a good role. I'm having fun again, and I can win. So as long as Beckham is at least targeted, let's say six to eight times, I I think he'll be fine. All right, I want to move on. Final topic with you. Uh, This is a very unique take uh, by me. This whole Steph Curry, Madison Square Garden thing tonight. He's going after the three-point record, most three points in a career in the NBA, and everybody's making a big deal. Oh, he's doing it in Madison Square Garden. Oh, my God, you got to tune in. It's at Madison Square Garden. Steph Curry, oh, what a historic moment at Madison Square. I don't care about Madison Square Garden. I think it's overhyped. Yes, it's the basketball arena in New York. Uh, Yes, you know, Muhammad Ali fought Joe Frazier there uh, in the 70s, and it was, you know, the first uh, fight, uh, the first Ali-Frazier fight. Hats off. That, That was a big deal back then. Last 20 years... What, what has Madison Square Garden really hosted? Why has it mattered? I, I just, look, I mean, I, I don't know. It just annoys me that they're going to make this big deal. Oh, my God, it's at Madison Square Garden. Oh, what, what the, most, the most incredible place to perform. I don't think it is. They act like Madison Square Garden is Wrigley Field, and it's just not. Wrigley Field, I get it. It's, it's a special place. It's in a special neighborhood. People packed that thing for when the Cubs were terrible. They packed it. Now the Cubs are good. I, I, I get it. Madison, I mean, Wrigley Field makes sense to me. Madison Square Garden doesn't. Am, am I crazy? I, I want to go a couple different directions. You must have woke up this morning saying, let, let me piss off New Yorkers. And instead of <laughs> saying that their pizza's overrated or that their hip-hop performers – are not that good. I think you went with this one. Yeah, Yeah, and so here's the issue with the garden as compared to the uh, Wrigley Field. I don't know how many people know this, but that's actually not the original garden. That's actually about their fourth version of it, and that's the one that has existed since 1968. It's a special place for boxing, I will say that. When I go there for certain fights, when there's more than 10,000 people, there's a certain energy, electricity, and atmosphere that Stop simply it. does not exist. Stop it, Steve. It's, Stop it's it. Stop it. It's Steve. What? Steve. Okay, let me yeah. ask you this. As a boxing guy, if you have a choice between seeing a great fight at Madison Square Garden or, or Circus Circus in Las Vegas or, you know, some... Circus what Circus. Is, what circus, circus. Any place in Las Vegas. A fight in Vegas versus a fight in New York at Ma- Stop it. Oh, oh, Jay, let me just a couple things here. Well, you are so wrong. I only go to Circus Circus to win stuffed animals, okay? But the fights in Vegas are kind of boring. Nobody shows up till about 30 minutes before the main event. It's a stale atmosphere. When there's a truly big fight at the Garden, especially when there's a Puerto Rican fighter, 
I'm just telling you, it's different. And the most memorable boxing event that I've ever covered was three weeks after 9-11. Bernard Hopkins against Felix Trinidad, September 29, 2001. I, I will never forget how breathtaking that whole event was and how scared everyone was of that something might happen that night. Now, with that said, I agree with you in this in this sense. If Steph Curry broke the three-point record at the Staples Center, or whatever it's called now, or the Rose Garden or Conseco Fieldhouse, does the record mean any less? That much I agree with you. I don't understand that particular angle. However, guys like Michael Jordan, LeBron, and Kobe, they'll tell you that their favorite venue to play was the Garden. For as bad as the Knicks are, I don't know if it's the presence of Spike Lee or whether it's anything else, it is a different place. But it's also, to a certain degree, overrated. Now, Jason, I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you actually covered an event at the Garden? When? Been a while. I'm trying to think. <laughs> it's, it, seriously, it's been, been a while. Huh? It's probably been a decade. <laughs> okay, huh? because... I will give the garden some credit. Back about eight, nine years ago, they actually rebuilt the garden from the inside out. Three summers in a row, they had a 90-day window between the last Knicks game, which was always before the playoffs, of course, and the first Rangers game. They actually took three summers to basically rebuild the whole thing and turn it into a new venue. Madison Square Garden actually had a show based around that, and I thought it was fascinating. When I walk into the garden it's a brand new building, but it still has a certain amount of mystique. Now, Jason, are you right that it doesn't matter if Steph Curry would have broke the record at the Staples Center or, or the Suns Arena? You're right. But to just say that the Garden, that there's no mystique, there's nothing special about it. Come on, Jay. You're being a little cynical there. Jeez. Jeez. As it relates to basketball, it's where the Knicks play. Nothing's happened that with the Knicks true. since OJ went riding down the street in a Bronco and they were in the <laughs> NBA Finals. That's the last historic moment. And I don't even know, was that even in New York? I think that game was in the Garden. I think that was in the it Garden, not game, in Houston. Game five of, with the Rockets. I was a big Olajuwon fan. Yeah, and that's the night yeah. that Al Cowan became the first Uber driver. Now, just, just a simple yeah. note here. <laughs> uh, my favorite Garden moment was not actually WrestleMania. I loved your article, by the way. It was what set off WrestleMania. Lou Albano was getting a gold record from Cindy Lauper and Dave Wolf, and the hot rod, Roddy Piper, came in and invaded and just smashed that record right over Albano's head, and Mr. T came in. It was a great moment. I'm just telling you, the garden is special, but on this night, just for Steph Curry's record, I agree with you, but geez, next thing you know, you're going to say that Sabaro's pizza is better than a New York slice. I dare you to go there. I, 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 like, I like New York pizza. You know, look, the old me... Uh, understands why Jordan and Kobe and Patrick Ewing and that that generation love the Garden, and particularly guys that didn't play in New York. You get to come to New York, and you get you used to be able to go to scores, and that going to scores was a big deal. That's the historic venue. That's that, the that's, venue. That's, that's the one. <laughs> that's the venue. That's the historic venue. The garden, nothing. All right, uh, thank Jay, you, Steve. Thanks. Hey, appreciate it. All right. Uh, don't go anywhere. Uncle Jimmy and our approval rating on Steph Curry. Next.
All right, welcome back. <sighs> My favorite part of the show. Just because I'm here. Man, I'm glad to hear you say that. It's taking you long enough to admit that. It's awesome because you get to review my work. Oh. My work is incredible. And so I just get to kick back and listen to you. You, you want to hear me say it again? Yeah, just how great just I was. Just tell you how great you were. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> I was awesome today, though. You know, this Lord, is... Your, go ahead and review. You do understand that what you're doing is against the law. It's kind of like pleasuring yourself and on the airplane. <laughs> it's not against the law, but it's kind of frowned upon, right? You need to cut that out, man. Well, that's... Again, Jim, all I'm doing is turning it over to you so I don't have to. You can... All right, just let me ask you this. Explain... Ex just let me ask you this, and I'm very serious about this. Do you not feel some sense of unfairness? that God would give you so much, but then give some people at other networks so little? Jim, I've thought about that. You know, why was I given so much talent and the ability to talk and see things that other could, others couldn't? And, you know, it's because I stayed prayed up. Mama Lovey and my mother, they just did a lot of praying on me. And so... It, it, so it's not because of any work you did, particularly. No, it was because no. of what mama and grandmama did. Yeah, definitely. Hey, man, yeah. uh, hot show today, man. I, I love Delano, honestly. And it's, if I was you, I, I'd worry about that, brother, man. Delano is, do you remember E.F. Hutton? Yeah, when he speaks, people listen or something. So do Delano. Yeah. <laughs> That's Delano. When Delano talks, people listen. Yeah. You know what, though? I, 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 the only advantage Delano has on me. He looks good? Well, the, he's got a good looking wife? What, what I would, no. The Family? You're almost in the same lane, but if I lose an additional three to five pounds, 100? I'll be. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Corey, why are you egging him on? <laughs> Anyway, Steve Kim was good, too. <laughs> but I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Could you, get, could you get to a real review? If you can't praise me, at least what did these other I was guys do? I was praising Delano, and you oh, once again I'm... threw your name back into it. Wait, wait, what about me, Jim? I mean, hold on. Wait, wait. You did forget I was here. What now, did, what did uh, Steve Kim, I, I, I'm serious question again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can we get some fearless gear sent to Steve? That's a I mean, honestly, I mean, if he's just going to keep on wearing college T-shirts. Well, I, I'm going to tell you what happened is Steve tried to get some fearless gear, but he listened to your intro that said go to cop media, uh, <laughs> copblazemedia.com instead of shopblazemedia.com. He got a little, <laughs> he's trying to cop free uh, gear where he should be shopping. Shop blaze me. That's not what happened. Never mind. That's not what happened? No, man. We you don't. said cop. Hey, man, we don't take in. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> you said copblazemedia.com backslash fearless. You're trying to hook everybody up so they, so they can do a smash and loot or what do they call it? Smash and grab? No, man. Actually, actually, I got a call from my cousin, Big Filthy, and he's like, hey, man, let me cop some of that. <laughs> you know how we do, man. I do. But honestly, man, Steve was on fire today. Honestly. I, and I'm not joking. Steve, what this dude said, a GoFundMe for MVP. That was funny. He said, he said oh, just say, what the hell, GoFundMe? That was funny. 
<laughs> and then this dude said that, it, it, then you made the comment talking about Kyler Murray. And at first I thought you was talking about you. You said he ran all over the field all night but still couldn't get it in the end zone. <laughs> and I thought that was you. <laughs> anyway, man, I thought it was I a great show. some credit. I, I, I mean, I did a good job. I, I can't get nothing... Jokes about my performance. I, I told you, there is no one at no other industry that, that that can do what you do, man. Honestly, and I mean that literally. I don't know if you mean it or not. There's nobody at any other industry that will give me a job. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little close to the truth, man. <laughs> so so close to the truth, it ain't funny. Come on, man. <laughs> All right, let's get to uh, the approval rating for Steph Curry. He's going for the three-point record. Ray Allen holds it. Uh, I think Reggie Jesus Miller Shuttlesworth. Should, yeah, Reggie Miller should hold the record, but he doesn't. Uh, but anyway, he's going to do it at Madison Square Garden, which is supposed to be a big deal. I don't see it as a big deal. But anyway, I like Steph Curry. And so in job performance, the Golden State Warriors, they won again last night. They beat my Pacers. I think they're 21-5 and five or 22-5, and five, something crazy like that. Uh, his job performance off the hook, I give him a 24 in job performance. Well, I was going to give him a 24 also, but since you said they beat the pace, I'm giving him one more. I give you 25. Yeah, <laughs> in first place. Come on, man. Uh, character, I think we, uh, look at this, we kind of agree. Character, I give him a 20. He's a high character individual, comes from a great family. Uh, you know, he's got his wife calmed down. She hasn't made the news, what, in a, in a solid year. Well, I see you said that. I gave him a 20, but in my opinion, he just let his wife just talk a little bit too much for my personal satisfaction. When's the last time you heard from her? I, I ain't heard from her in like at least six yeah. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Authenticity. He kind of comes off as goody two-shoes, but I think in real life he's not really goody two-shoes. Well, I know why you don't like him. I don't, I don't dislike him. I gave him a 17. Come on, keep it real, Jason. You fair? He ain't a thoroughbred. <laughs> yes, he is. He's not. Yes, he is. He's a little bit of a thoroughbred. Now, he's a thoroughbred in his voice. Now, you listen to him talk. Oh, yeah, but I'll get that. I hit them three. He, he took his voice after his daddy. But he ain't, he ain't a complete thoroughbred. Stop that, Jason. Look. Him, Obama. No, he's not. Look, Sonya Curry, I think, is half black, half white. But once she made it with Dale, that, that's, that's thoroughbred. That's Nah, man. You, when you but, nah, nah. He 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 close. He close, but he ain't a thoroughbred, man. You know that. Come on, man. Come on. Uh, it factor. Uh, you know, I'll give him a twenty-two in it factor. Kids love him. I gave him twenty-five, just for his mama alone. <laughs> I, you know, she left Dale. That kind of broke my heart. Not me. She left Dale and moved to Nashville. Did <laughs> she? Allegedly. Did she move to Nash? Is that true? That was the story. Why are you, you, you really the- thought I was gone getting surgery? <laughs> <laughs> Sonya Curry lives in Nashville? Well, she was hanging out in Nashville, allegedly. That's where that coach was living at. I got him at a smoke show, 83. Jim's got him at Blazing Hot, 91. Uh, great show. Sonya Curry lives in Nashville. Uh, her, her husband was looking for her. Where's where, where your mama? Oh, she she calling from a six one five number. <laughs> <laughs>
Where the damn Uncle Jimmy lived at? <laughs> wow. All right, that's it and that's all. We'll see you tomorrow. No regrets and our decisions We don't want to go to heaven with freedom It's my obligation, no hate, discrimination Raising up your hands for freedom Raise up your hands for freedom